Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he likes to get those low drops. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, do you know what the opposite of lady fingers is? Uh, that's the bread, like sweet bread or something? Yes, um, it is. The dessert? No, I don't, I don't know. What is that? Happens to be Mentos. Mentos. <laughs> I got you good. I'm, I'm happy oh. about that result. Oh, man. Oh, I'm really charmed by that. I really <laughs> like that one, Matt. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, up next, he just likes to get low. That's Dana Roach. <laughs> uh, people seem to think we're finishing up the last month of the year of Commander, but I'm fairly certain we're finishing up the first year of the decade of Commander based on everything I'm seeing. So ah. I'm excited for that. Uh, I am. Um I think I might agree with you. Well spotted. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Dana, what is it that we're talking about this week? We're talking about the lowest mana curves in EDH, the opposite of what we did last week. That we are. Last week, we took a look at the commanders that have the highest average mana costs in their deck, the biggest mana curves. And this week, we're flipping that script a little bit and taking a look at the commanders that have the lowest instead. So it should be really cool to see what we can find out about the commanders that play the uh, the smallest mana curves possible. But before we get to our main topic for this episode, what we want to do is pause and give a huge thank you to Josh Lequai and all the folks at the Command Zone podcast who handle all the post-production work on our podcast here, making it look as awesome as it does. So thank you so much. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for our show as well. Yeah, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has a uh, ridiculously good buy list if you have unused cards you want to part with to pick up cool stuff from Commander Legends. So uh, anything you want, they would have in stock. TCG Player is also a sponsor of ours, and they have the most possible sellers out there. So anything you want, somebody will have. Just go to EDHREC and click on the card in question, then follow the link to the site of your choice. Click on it, and you will support both the site and the show. And if you're one of those people that's weird and you don't like buying their cards, um, you don't have to buy cards from Card Kingdom or TCG Player, though we do highly recommend it. But if you would prefer mm. to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We appreciate all of our patrons over there. And if you want to join the Discord, if you want some swag every now and then, or you just want to watch this episode a day early, get to see our shining, smiling faces, you can do that over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We even have a tier where we thank a certain patron every week. So this week we are going to say thank you to Daniel Medina. We appreciate all of your support. It is so awesome to have you on board. Yes, thank you so, so much for the support. All right, fellas, let's get to our topic now. We are going to dive in, but just in a second, because first we want to lay some groundwork just like we did for the last episode. So, you know, real quick, as always, we want to, you know, address that we are only going to discuss commanders that have over 100 decks on EDHREC, because if it's below that point, it's just not as useful of data. We want to set a threshold somewhere so that we can talk about commanders that are seeing enough play. Um, and then also a note that this data was all drawn on mid-November in 2020, and we use the average deck feature on EDHREC and average out the mana cost that we find among those average decks to get all of this information. And a reminder also, just to sort of help you know establish what is an average converted mana cost so that we compare that to the data that we're going to see on this episode, reminder that at the end of the last episode, we saw that the CMC of decks on average across all the decks that we're measuring data for across all of them overall is trending at about 3.33, tends to be the average mana cost that we're seeing for a typical EDH deck. Though in the last episode, um, Matt, with all of the encouragement of you and your really big phenomenal face-bashing monsters, we saw that the commander Joda got the highest point of a mana cost of 5.55, an average CMC of 5.55. Like, that thing was uh, really crazy, and I feel like you had something to do with all of those really high mana cost <laughs> creatures that Joda's cheating out. One can only hope. One <laughs> can only hope. Well, we'll see if Dana has something to do with all of the low drops that we might be seeing in this episode, because that boy does like to slim down on those mana costs. He does does love his Knight's Whisper. I, I will give him that. <laughs> he really does. All right, so uh, let's get to it. Dana, do you mind starting us off with our number 10? We're taking a look at those low CMC commanders with the lowest curves. 
Who starts us off with our number 10 on this list? Number 10 is Kess, Dissident Mage. So that's a Grixis commander, one and Grixis, four mana total for a human wizard. Kess has flying and says, during each of your turns, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. If a card casts this way will be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. Um, so there's um, 3,300 Kess decks we have in the database, and the average CMC is 2.21. And of that average CMC, we're looking at 47 cards with CMC two or less showing up in cast decks. So there's a oh. lot of super low CMC cards in there. Things like Ponder or Preordain, uh, Gitaxian Pro, Brainstorm, a lot of rituals to give you mana to cast more of those cards. So it's just really, really efficient stuff. Average CMC of 2.21. We saw that the average was 3.33. I know that that maybe doesn't sound like a whole lot just off those small numbers, but when the cap was 5.55, we're already starting off way, way low here. Really, really low. Yeah. Um, at that point, you're looking at decks that are primarily running one drops for the most part. I mean, to, to get to that that point, you have to be running a lot of one drops to to offset the, the, the threes. And in this case, four for the commander alone. Yeah. So really, really lean. When you look at the average deck, too, there, there's 39 instants and sorceries, too. So like they're really going yeah. heavy into a lot of just very, very cheap card draw that we're seeing although like you said cantrips maybe not a whole lot of interaction who who knows well and we talked about you know at the end of last week's show cards that like aren't necessarily the cmc they say they are that isn't the case here these aren't really x spells these are very much cards that cost one or or none in the case of jataxian probe when you're casting it for life so these these are legitimately super cheap cards yeah very very much i'm especially caught up with the, the fact that there are 47 cards with mana cost of two or less that's over half the cards in the deck. That is very, very trim indeed. Um, but it's only going to get even more slim from there. Matt, do you mind taking us to number nine and seeing who's up next? So number nine is a recent one that I've, I've pondered around with, but decided against it. Uh, Joyra Weatherlight Captain. That is the, um, is it Joyra? Well, they're both is it, but this is the one from Dominaria that came out. Um, it's two and is it colors, so a, a blue and a red for a 3-3 human artificer. Whenever you cast a historic spell, you draw a card. And just as a reminder, historic spells are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. So whenever you cast an artifact, you draw a card. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, you draw a card. And whenever you cast a saga, you draw a card. Uh, there's 2,160 decks on the website right now. Average converted mana cost is 2.17 with a whopping 42 cards that have a CMC of two or less. Uh, we're seeing a whole bunch of cards out there like Mox Amber. You have Spellbook and Ornithopter because that's a EDH powerhouse apparently. <laughs> um, but there's all sorts of just spells that you just kind of, the average deck kind of looks like a, a combo deck almost where you're casting a lot of just zero man artifacts, churning through your deck, drawing a whole bunch of cards, and usually finding some sort of a combo finish from there. So pretty lean, pretty mean. What do you guys think about Joyra here? I think it's so mean that she doesn't even care what artifacts she's casting. She just wants to draw cards with them. So if there's zero drops, even if they had a negative impact, she doesn't care because it's just I draw a bunch of cards this way because I just cast the whole deck for free and lap man my way to victory. And I guess it doesn't really matter at all in terms of gameplay, but I do think it's kind of fascinating that we have two Joyra cards. One is in the top 10 for highest CMC and one yep. is in the top 10 for lowest. That's that's pretty neat. She took a full 180 on yeah. that one. Yes. Absolutely true. Uh, also, speaking of historic stuff, that is also going to show up for our number eight. If we hop right to that, our number eight commander on this list is Teshar, Ancestors Apostle which I think still kind of gets maybe a little bit overlooked. It is from Dominaria, a four mana 2-2 two -two flying bird cleric that says whenever you cast a historic spell, you return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And again, a reminder that artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are historic. So Tashar is a really interesting case that because of the sheer density of you know, legendary creatures that appeared in Dominaria maybe got overlooked a little bit, but it is getting a bit more love nowadays because there are 713 Teshar decks um, on Idiotrek. The average mana cost is just 0.01 beneath the previous Commander Joyra. We're seeing an average CMC here is uh, 2.16 for Teshar, which fits very, very neatly within Teshar's limitation of the three cost or less. Matt, how many cards are we seeing that have a mana cost of two or less on Teshar's page? 
So we're seeing 37 cards, which is a pretty significant number. I mean, you're, you're pushing 40% of the deck is finding is sliding in under that two CMC or less. But when you have a, a specific number on the commander listed like you do with Tashar, that naturally is going to lean out the deck. Even if you're not playing it the most you know, lean and, and, and efficient version of that deck, you want to maximize your targets regardless. So even if the, the average CMC was closer to three, it's you still would have a fairly efficient deck because that number that kind of places a cap on what you want to be casting because Tashar has that CMC of three or less. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of interesting cards here that you really are not going to see in any other commander deck. There's stuff like Salvage Scout or Leon and Squire, stuff that lets you loop creatures and artifacts back and forth from graveyard to hand to battlefield and back and forth and back and forth from all those zones. And then if you can do stuff like loop a Skyscanner, which draws a card when it enters, you'll draw a bunch of cards or a Cathodian, which gives you mana when it dies. Well, if you've got your, you know, cool combo loops here, you can have Cathodian die over and over and over again to get you three mana each time it loops. Or there's like a, I'm seeing a Perilous mirror showing up here too, which dies and deals damage. So Tishar can cause these loops to deal damage, to gain mana, to draw a bunch of cards, even in mono white. Yes, it is possible. We're seeing a whole bunch of combo stuff emerge as these decks are sort of streamlining themselves, and Tashar is no exception. I mean, uh, our next card on the list here isn't an exception either. At number seven, mm -hmm. we're looking at Kinnon Bonder Prodigy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kinnon is a uh, two mana Simic, so one green, one blue for a 2-2 human druid. And the important text here is whenever you tap a non-land permanent for mana, it adds one mana of any type that permanent produced. And you can also spend seven, so five in Simic, and look at the top five cards of your library and put a non-human creature card from among them out of the battlefield and the rest go in the bottom of your library in a random order. But that first little bit is what's important because... The deck runs a ton of one-drop mana dorks. If it costs one mana and you can tap it for for mana <laughs> after it's in play, it's in the Kinnon deck. Yeah. So, so, so many of them on the mana dorks. Yeah, an average CMC of 2.16, so we're getting close to breaking that, that one barrier. Uh, 47 cards with CMC, two or less. But wait, Dana, didn't we just say that Tashar had fewer than that? Tashar had 37 cards with CMC, two or less. Like, why are these numbers so crazy? Why aren't they all, you know, sort of uniformly streamlining as we go up the page? Well, it, it is going to be actually a little bit wonkier in this particular episode rather than the, you know, the slimming or the growing as we saw in the last episode. These particular numbers are a little bit stranger because it's averaging out more than just the lowest cards when we're looking at it here. Tashar didn't have as many one and two drops as Kinnon does, but Kinnon actually does have a, a higher number of expensive payoffs at the top end. Yeah, you need to use that mana for something. Right. So there's cards like Crater Roof Behemoth in here, which is an eight drop, or things like Nyx Moon Ancient just to get that much more mana out of those mana dorks that you're tapping for twice as much anyway. So, so the payoffs in this deck tend to be much higher CMC than what we were looking at in um, the Tashar deck. Yeah, and uh, I'm just as afraid of Kinnon as I think I always will be. Even if it didn't have those top ends, I'm still very afraid of all of the combo stuff that these things can do. Matt, do you mind taking us to number six? So number six is another one kind of like what Dana was hinting towards, where you want so many different things that are just going to tap for one mana on turn two. Um, Shu Yun, Silent Tempest, wants as many spells that cost one mana so that you can activate his ability right after. So Shu Yun, Silent Tempest is two and a blue for a three, two human monk, uh, has prowess, and then whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you may pay hybrid Boros, hybrid Boros, so that is a uh, red and a white hybrid mana. If you do, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. So Shu Yun has 722 decks out there to his name, got an average CMC of 2.15 with 45 cards that have a CMC of two or less. But all those cards, it's going to be stuff like slip through space that's going to make sure Shuyun can't be blocked, trigger the, the triggered ability where you can pay the Boros mana to give him double strike, and you're just going to go to town and wail on some people. Uh, Titan Strength, Distortion Strike, all those cheap combat tricks that are going to enable you to give Shuyun double strike, maybe cantrip and draw you a card, but really you're just trying to pump him and just bash face as hard and as fast as possible. <laughs> Yeah, to get as many of those prowess triggers, you really want things to be... You can't afford to play a three-mana spell all of the time with Shu Yun. You need to be able to play three one-mana spells to get him the power buff that he really requires. Mm -hmm. This reminds me a whole lot of I Have a Feather the Redeemed deck, and it's kind of the same story there. You have a whole lot of one-drop spells that you can cantrip onto Feather or that you can buffer up with. Um, and Dana, it also kind of reminds me of the direction that you took your Adelie's the Cinder Wind deck in as well. 
very similar where you're kind of playing Voltron using instant sorcery spells. So yeah, it plays very similar to my deck. Yeah, and there's just kind of a cool, uh, you know, waxing and waning, I think, here, too, because you mm -hmm. do have to be very careful about, con you know, constructing in your hand a series of cards that will be lethal and especially that other people won't necessarily see coming. And I think that that's a really fun thing with Shu Yun that we don't always see with some of the other commanders. Like Muldrotha, for example, is a really big paragon of consistency. I'll always be able to get back these same things over and over again, and it's a very consistent amount of damage, you know, a very consistent game plan throughout the whole game. Shu Yun is very, you know, who knows whether the tide or is in or out but man when it's in it's going to be a whole lot and then it might need to recharge for a little bit to find more of those cantrips but it can be really fun when the tide actually does finally come in i don't know why i'm attaching myself to this moon and the tides <laughs> metaphor but it works in my brain and i hope it works in other people's too so moving on from random moon and or weather <laughs> metaphors here let's jump over and uh, talk a little bit of botany and look at Najila the blade blossom uh Najila is two and a red for a human warrior and she says, whenever a warrior attacks, you may have its controller create a 1-1 white warrior creature token that's tapped and attacking. You can also then spend Wooberg and untap all attacking creatures. They gain trample, lifelink, and haste until end of turn. And after this phase, there is an additional combat phase, and you can activate this ability only during combat. So Najila here... Um, has 44 cards with CMC 2 or less, a lot of which are cheap warriors that she's just trying to get out to to hit enough numbers to basically get infinite attack swings. And signature cards are things like Mind Blade Renderer, Bramblewood Paragon, um, Rush Blade Commander, uh, really efficient warrior spells that, that get to that number um, so you can cast the Wooburg and just start looping those attack steps over and over. Yeah, an average CMC here among her deck of 2.14. So we are inching ever downward, which is just like absolutely crazy. I think it's kind of important that there are actually a pretty decent number of three drops and four drops on Najila's page. Like if you just scroll through her EDH rec page, you might not register immediately that she would be this low because it's not full of a bunch of, you know, one drop mana dorks like we saw with Kinnon, for example. The thing is, though, Najila plays almost nothing that costs five mana or more. Like we just don't see that type of mana cost on her page at all. So there's no high end that's pulling her numbers in any direction. It is really just consolidated down in the lower bracket as much as it can be. Even the non-competitive Najila decks really have no reason to play big creatures when they could instead just pump a bunch of mana into her ability to get more combats. Well, and you said the magic words competitive there. That does make a difference in this deck too. Not that mm -hmm. there aren't competitive versions of the other commanders we talked about, but Najila really is very much recognized as a competitive uh, CEDH level commander, which means there's a lot of a lot more of those zero drop Mox Diamond level artifacts in here that just drag that number down even further. That maybe you don't get with some other commanders that also want to do efficient things. They're just not running that efficiency in every other slot, like you kind of see with Najila when it's built right. just to play at that absolute peak level of efficiency. Well, Dana, you know, speaking of commanders that attack, if we move on now to our number four, we actually find a commander that I know you yourself are pretty familiar with. We're seeing Edric, Spymaster of Trust, which I definitely knew was going to show up on this one because this guy is one drop central. This is the three mana Simic commander. It is a two two elf rogue that says whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may draw a card. I think this was initially intended to be a political commander, potentially. Um, Dana, in your, in your experience, has, has politics with Edgar's draw card um, offer, has, has that ever been a thing? That, that actually has happens? never, ever been a thing as far as, as far as I know. I built this relatively early in the release cycle, too, when it came out. It was not nearly as potent as it is today, I guess. I guess people were kind of figuring out how to play commander quickly and efficiently. But immediately upon playing it, you know, six years ago, even everyone very quickly realized this is not at all a political card. This is just a card for me to draw a bunch of cards and you right. to maybe make bad decisions at best. Right. This deck is just full of a bunch of small one drop, usually evasive, unblockable or flying creatures um, to just draw you a bazillion cards with just a bunch of stinking one drops. So the average CMC that we're seeing in an Edric deck is 2.1. Moving on down there. 
Fun thing here, there are 51 cards with a converted mana cost of two or less that show up in the average Edric deck, but there are actually zero cards that show up in the deck with a CMC of zero, which is unlike some of the commanders that we saw earlier, such as Joyer, for example, who does enjoy you know, playing a bunch of cards like the spell books or whatever, these zero cost artifacts that she can just play for free. Edric doesn't have any free stuff. He doesn't play any zero drops. He just plays a whole bunch of one drops. Like so many like one a drops. A lot of them. So many stinking <laughs> yeah. one drops. And then uh, I think it's fun to note too, the kind of payoff cards that we're seeing for Edric. Matt, do you want to take us through some of those? Well, the payoff cards, I'm I'm on board with these. Uh, Beastmaster Ascension. <laughs> Thought it might be. Sign me up. Uh, Biomass Mutation, that's a pretty big heavy hitter. Um, Throne of the God Pharaoh, one of my personal favorites in my Miri deck. I love it. So just all these things, you're flooding the battlefield with all these ones and twos, turning them sideways and just finding a way to make those ones and twos hit harder than your typical one mana creature would. Uh, I am all about it. Since you happen to be drawing cards too, I mean, it's just this this deck has a lot going on. I don't know why, pe- why people ever... <laughs> Would have anything bad to say about Edric. <laughs> and I did check my deck. Um, average CMC in my Edric deck is 1.74. How? What are so. you? How? Oh, wow. <laughs> soul, ring, soul Ring is too expensive for Dana. I don't Up. think I have a Soul Ring in the deck. I do I, I do think it, there's not one in there. Fair. Fair. Wow. Absolute insanity. But it, I, I just think it's kind of interesting, though, that like even those payoff cards are also very low cost, too. You're not seeing Greater Hoof Behemoths. Edric doesn't have time for that. He's not like he's like eight. No. He scoffs at eight. Mm-hmm. He's like the anti mat, you know, that kind of thing. But like Beastmaster Ascension gives a big pump at just three mana. Throw another God Pharaoh can just cost like two or three mana and then can still make your opponents lose a bunch of life. So you can still find a bunch of payoffs even at those low mana costs, which I just think is probably a good lesson for people to sort of sort of keep in mind in general that you don't always need the biggest and splashy stuff sometimes to do what will be the most amount of damage um we are now to our top three i'm seeing but you know what before we get to our top three the lowest of the low mana curves in commander i think we ought to pause and i think we ought to challenge some stats it's one of our favorite segments here on the show there's a whole bunch of data on edh rec but we just don't always agree with that sometimes we think the cards see too much play sometimes we think the cards see too little play so what we'd like to do is challenge all those stats here matt do you mind starting us off this week what's your challenge so my challenge this week is for a Luna Apex of Wishes deck. So that is the beast, elemental, dinosaur, avatar, something or other. There's like 18 <laughs> creature texts to every creature in a Coria layer of behemoths. Um, but a, a Luna is the teamer colored legend um, that it basically has the mutate ability of whenever uh, this creature mutates, you exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land permanent card. You put that card onto the battlefield or into your hand. So Soothsaying is a card that is only showing up in 7% of decks currently that is, I think, should be played a little bit more. Uh, Soothsaying is just such an effective card for finding ways to set up the top of your deck. I know, Joey, you have a Yannette deck, which you have some sort of effects to make sure the top of your library is set up so that when you get this trigger that you're looking for, you're going to hit some high-value targets. You're not going to be hitting the the one and two mana creatures, whatever you're you know, hopefully not hitting. So the deck typically should be playing some amount of top deck manipulation. Um, Soothsaying is only, like I said, only played in 7%. Crystal Ball is a quarter, and that is only being played in 0%. It's not even on Aluna's page currently. Sensei's Divining Top, if your playgroup doesn't hate you for it, um, is ah. being played in 14% of decks in Aluna right now, which is fine. But just having some sort of way to manipulate the top of your deck so that you're not hitting all these one and two mana dorks, anything like that, you're hitting the Sandworm Convergences. You're hitting exciting cards off of Aluna's mutate ability, not the cheap little so-sos. So I think anything that's going to help you manipulate the top of your deck, Crystal Ball is one of my favorites just for a quarter, not showing up on Aluna's page at all. That could probably get ticked up a little bit as with soothsaying i know you do have some risk as these are non-land permanents that you can flip with aluna's ability but that risk is worth it if you're going to be able to set up to have bigger payoffs down the road I can certainly fully support the ideas of manipulating the top of your deck because as I've seen with Yannette, it is bonkers amount of fun. And when cheating stuff into play, uh, there's just no better feeling. There just isn't. Also, uh, Matt, I love that you've uh, 
in our episode about low mana curves, you found a way to talk about cheating really expensive stuff into play. I had to find some way to just turn it around on itself. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of cool options, so definitely look for them. I really like that. Uh, I'll move now to my challenge here, and this is from one of our listeners who goes by Zofka on our Discord. So Zofka, this one's for you. He recommends for a Sadisi Brood Tyrant deck, the card Sakashima the Imposter. And if you've been playing any Among Us, you should definitely be aware of the Imposter. In fact, when we had Talia Vess on our stream, twitch.tv slash EDHRecast, she also played Sakashima the Imposter and proved to be the Imposter that certainly killed us all. It was really phenomenal. But just one sec, let's get back to that challenge. Uh, Zofka wants us to know that Sadisi Brood Tyrant could really use Sakashima's ability really effectively because Sakashima can become a clone of any card on the battlefield. It's a really fun card that, even beyond just the Sadisi pick, actually shows up in just about 3,500 decks. There is a bit of a price thing maybe going on there too, but it's a really cool clone if you're in the, uh, in the line for clones. If you're in the market for clones, I would say give this version of Sakashima a look in addition to the new Sakashima that's just come out in Commander Legends. It's a really fun pick, so Zafka, thanks so much for submitting it. Well, uh, last to me here, um, we have my pick, and I'm going to set this up by talking about Triumph of the Hordes briefly. Triumph of oh. the Hordes is in 31% of Edric Master Atress decks, Edric that we just talked about. Um, so Triumph of the Hordes gives your creatures plus one, plus one, and infect. And what happens in an Edric deck is because your stuff is all unblockable, your infect damage is going to get through, and you're trying to kill everyone by casting Triumph. The problem there is your deck is filled with 1-1s, and if you are giving them all plus 1, plus 1, you need to hit each person basically with 5 creatures to infect them out, because odds are there's no other infect sources in that deck, or no one else has poison counters for anything else, which means that's 15 creatures you need to have out. Hmm. The deck can do that, but that's a relatively big ask to kill everyone. Additionally, you can't really swap things around, like, like the odds are everyone's at zero in fact, so you're, you're ha you have to put the full amount towards everyone. A card that should be in more Edric decks in particular, I think, is Scale Up. It's a sorcery that was in Modern Horizons. It's one green mana, but you're going to overload it for six. So for four green green until the end of turn, um, target creature you control becomes a green worm with base power and toughness six four. And if you overload it, it's all creatures. Um, you can't really like overwhelming stampede and edric deck that doubles creatures power because they go from one to two in this case all those one ones that are unblockable become six fours and it lets you much more easily get through for lethal damage than triumph does in my experience because you have one person at you know 18 damage or 18 life because you've hit them a few times on previous turns you can just send three creatures their way their way somebody else who's at 35 you can send six creatures their way it just makes getting those kills much easier than triumph most of the time and it's in just 12 percent of decks i think if you're playing edric flying man or one of those variants uh scale up is as good if not better than triumph of the hordes and it's way underplayed compared to triumph matt we've discovered the secret to why dana's edric deck has such a low mana curve it's because he plays cards <laughs> well, like scale up which have a deceptive mana cost. very true i was gonna i was actually gonna note that we discussed that last week but scale up was a good example of one that's not really a one drop it's not mm -hmm. really a one drop kind of like cyclonic rift isn't really a two drop either it's always way more all right, cool yep. stuff, you guys. But let's get back to our main topic now. We're rounding it out to the final three, the commanders that have the lowest average mana costs in their decks, the lowest of the mana curves here. We're going to head now to number three, which is Zirda, the Dawn Waker. That is the Boros 3-mana three 3-3 three, three Elemental Fox from the Ikoria set. It has the companion stuff, but we're not talking about it as a companion. We're just talking about it as a commander. It has that ability, abilities you activate that aren't mana abilities cost two generic mana less for you to activate and that can't reduce them to cost uh, less than one mana to activate. Plus, it can also pay one and tap itself to have target creature unable to be uh, a blocker this turn, which um, I don't think comes up nearly as much because Zirda can do some, some other stuff with that first ability. Some infinite mana stuff. Some infinite stuff like we've seen in most of the other uh, commanders from this episode. Zirda's average CMC across its deck is 2.0 Two. 
we're nearly there. We are almost there. Um, and in terms of cards that have a converted mana cost of two or less that show up in a Zyrda deck, there's 41 of those. 41 of those cards that have a mana cost of two or less. That is really, really low. Although interestingly, Zyrda's average deck does not seem to contain any cards that have a CMC of five or higher. So it is very, very low to the ground indeed. Yeah, that's that's super super lean um, for a deck that that isn't necessarily pointing you at something like Edric running a bunch of one drops or or Joy running a bunch of super cheap artifacts. Mm. Um, this is seems a little more nebulous about what is filling out the all the slots in this kind of deck. Yeah, and in this case, it's a couple of strange, almost eclectic cards. I would say Soul Bright Flamekin, for example, shows up on Zirda's page pretty popularly, which can pay mana to give something trample but if you activate that ability enough times it actually gives you a bunch of mana as well which can then help you pay for a whole bunch of other things you've got the staff of domination which can be an absolutely crazy thing once you've got infinite mana which as we know zirda is totally able to do from you know the different monoliths that exists because a monolith can tap for mana zirda can untap it for way cheaper than it should untap and then tap it for mana again and just pay into a whole bunch of those so then you've got a card like staff of domination that can use all the infinite mana that Zyrda can create to some type of game-winning finish. It doesn't require a huge top end. It just needs you to have a walking ballista, which has a CMC of zero because it's got a double X in its cost. But with infinite mana, that's a blaze for the entire table. So Zyrda's up to some really crafty stuff that you maybe wouldn't expect from a Boros deck, but I think I'm happy to see all the same. Well, since we're talking about companions here, Joey, we might as well go to number two who is Luris of the Dream Den, the uh, Scourge of Legacy and Vintage. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Luris is three mana, um, one and uh, Orzov-Orzov hybrid. Um, the companion clause here is each permanent card in your starting deck has a converted mana cost of two or less. That seems like it would suggest you play a bunch of low CMC cards. It has a lifelink, which seems almost irrelevant here, but uh, the last clause is probably the most important. During each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. So we're looking at uh, a commander that has the ability to just recur anything with a low CMC. So we're looking at 56 cards with CMC two or less in the stack, and that's huh. giving us an average CMC. We finally broke it of 1.91. Whoa, we didn't just break it. We went a full another a full digit. Like, wow, I thought we were going to be like, you know, 1.99 or something. But no, Luris is just like, nah, I'm going straight down. Yeah, yeah. No, we're not messing around here. Um, signature cards are things like Kaya's Ghost Form, Animate Dead, a lot of Blood Artist kind of effects, basically a bunch of one and two drops. Um, and since it's not really running like the finishers you see in other decks, it's just hyper-efficient, super cheap stuff. You don't even have the occasional Triumph of the Hordes making your average CMC um, look terrible with those awful four drops. Triumph of the Hordes? You just want to keep talking about Triumph of I the do. Horde, don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> you just can't get past that Edric deck of yours. No, so, Dana, what you're telling me is that Luris lets me cast my Blood Artists from the graveyard over and over again. Is that right? Um, yes, which is why you need to uh, always pack Graveyard Hate. No, no, no. That's Don't be silly. I'm just wondering if I build a new Orzov deck now. There we go, um, yeah. <laughs> while I'm pondering that, Matt, do you mind finishing it out with number one? What is the commander that has the lowest mana curve, the lowest average CMC out of all the commanders in the game. So this commander, if you look at the average deck, plays an average of 50 lands, which don't even throw off the <laughs> average CMC. That is quite the feat in itself. But we have talked about this commander a couple times before on the podcast on previous episodes, and that commander is Sadisi Undead Vizier. So Sadisi is three black black for a zombie naga with death touch, has exploit, and that is when this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. And when Sadisi enters the battlefield and exploits a creature, you may search your library for a card, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library, which means she is a tutor on a stick. So the average deck, we'll get to this real quick first. Average deck has a CMC of 1.7, which is extremely Whoa. low, hyper-efficient, so good. Um, 37 cards with an average CMC, or with a CMC of two or less, also an extremely high number. We are seeing signature cards ad nauseum 
Well, that's kind of weird. But then when you think about the average CMC, you're not taking very much life off of the average ad nauseum resolution. But you also have the sickening dreams and uh, dark sphere combo, which people seem to still be playing, which can throw <laughs> off the numbers a little bit, make it look like the average deck is playing 50 lands. Um, that deck is what it's it's 95 lands with a couple Something combo like pieces and <laughs> CDC. It's it's a little silly. Um, it, it, it's a meme deck, essentially. Basically, it really that's, is. That, that's, that's completely the, tweaking these numbers. That is the best way to put it. Yeah, it's, it's a meme deck. You get somebody once, and then they <laughs> they just don't let you do that anymore. Yeah. It is a really cool idea, though. Like Sadisi immediately tutors for the ad nauseum to just draw you a bunch of cards. You'd lose life equal to the mana cost of the cards that you draw from the ad nauseum. But as we're seeing, that's not going to be basically any life at all. You find your sickening dreams, which lets you discard a bunch of cards from your hand, which you've just drawn with ad nauseum, to deal damage to everyone. And one of those sphere cards will help prevent a, some amount of damage to you so that you get everyone for lethal while not taking any yourself. It reminds me of like the... Uh, the the joke of the 99 mountains and an ashling mono red ashling or whatever <laughs> um sort of a joke and sadisi is still keeping strong here even a regular non-strange combo build of sadisi those numbers are not able to take us away from the ad nauseum stuff that we're seeing 37 cards of the cmc of two or less that you saw in the average deck there i mean you can just play a bunch of zero stuff because why not and ornithopter is not going to deal you any damage when you get that ad nauseum i just really hope that if you are trying out this meme deck you don't get a counter spell headed your way on that ad nauseum <laughs> <laughs> or else your deck verifiably does nothing else. Yeah, yeah then, then you're you're stuck trying to beat down with a 4-6 with a death touch, and I don't think that's going to go too well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, CDC also maybe almost maybe feels like an exception that proves the rule or something, because it is kind of a meme deck. So to that end, Matt, do you want to take us through some of the honorable mentions, some uh, commanders that didn't show up in the top 10, but, you know, almost got there? Because there are a few that I was honestly surprised not to see in the top 10. Well, we have a couple mono blue because they just like to keep everything nice, clean and in low CMC. Uh, Emery, Lurker of the Lock, and then Urza, Lord High Artificer, the, the crazy mm -hmm. Urza. Both of those are coming in right around uh, 2.3 or so 2.32 for urza and then 2.25 for emery uh, both of them just love their cheap and efficient artifact enablers and they uh, you know their average deck list is there to to reflect that as well uh, sram is also another edificer that likes to have a lot of very cheap and efficient ways to draw a bunch of cards it's a similar deck to kind of what uh joyra was doing that we talked about a lot of zero mana artifacts a lot of ways to enable the draw card effect and then feather joey i know that's a commander that you have drawn yeah. a lot of cards you're probably playing a lot of what is it um Disdainful Stroke, or not Disdainful Stroke, excuse me, um, Defiant Strike, that's the there one that I was thinking of. Defiant Strike and all sorts of little one and two mana cantrips probably is what they're looking to do. 2.24 is the average mana cost of a Feather deck. And you know what? I'm thinking of pulling a Dana and slimming it down even farther if <laughs> I can. I dare yeah. you. No, Feather was uh, one that I was definitely surprised not to see in the top 10, but she's like nearly there. She's like number 12 or 13. And then Urza as well. It was just like, Urza's got to be in the top 10, right? Like he loves his smaller defects. He loves all the mana that he can get from those, but he like just missed out like at number 15 or 16 or so. So those commanders are still definitely in that range. They have a uh, slim enough and a streamlined enough mana curve that you should probably still be just as afraid of them as you already were. Um, last episode, we looked through a couple of commanders that, you know, we sorted out their uh, their specific card slot CMC to try and see what, you know, the data kind of reflects on that. Not just the average CMC, but also when taking a look at, you know, the density of cards that show up in the one mana slot or the two mana slot. And we've got some fun results here when we take a look at the lowest ends of the curve, too. Dana, do you mind taking us through a handful of those? Uh, the commanders that contain the most zero drops... Um, Sadisi Undead Vizier, we we're talking about 14 zero drops there. Uh, mm -hmm. Urza Lord High Artificer sitting at nine, as is Joyra Weatherlight Captain. And these are decks where there's almost no downside in the case of Sadisi to run those zero drops. And in Urza and Joyra's case, it's all upside. They become mana rocks, or in Joyra's case, they draw you free cards. So anything that's a zero drop artifact in those those last two decks, you are pretty much going to run. Mm -hmm. And then looking at commanders that uh, contain the most one drops... Edric and Shu Yun here, we have two. We talked about Edric, why it loves those one-drop flying men, 
things with evasion that can sneak through and draw you cards. Uh, Shu Yan, similarly, looking at other things that you can buff up and those spells like you see in the Feather deck that are really cheap and efficient and let you get those prowess triggers stacked as quickly and easily as possible. Very, very fun. When we move it to the two-drop slot to take a look at the commanders that run the highest density of two-drops, a couple of strange ones come up. We do have Luris of the Dream Den showing up here. Loves the two-drops. 32 drops in a Luris deck, but there are actually 32 two-drops in a Sig River Cutthroat deck. So definitely keep your eyes on that one as well. But a fun one that I was... uh kind of delighted to see and also maybe a little bit irked to see if I'm being honest kind of a dual emotion when I saw it Arcades the strategist also plays a very large number of two drops there are 29 two mana cards in the average Arcades deck because Arcades is another commander that can just play the thing out and draw a card immediately in this case if it's a defender so you play a bunch of really cheap walls Honestly, not even because they're walls that you want to attack with per Arcades abilities, but really just to draw as many cards as you possibly can because it's a really cheap thing that lets you draw a card because of Cardies and you draw the cards and it doesn't matter which wall it is. You just draw the cards. You the cards in the draw and you draw and the cards and the cards are drawn. Right, I, I, I'm a little <laughs> unclear on the directions there. Do you draw the cards <laughs> yeah, or the cards drawn? Unsure of the exact sequence. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, those all, all make sense to a degree. Um, the three drops, the commanders that contain the most three drops, though, things get way weirder there. Yeah. Looking at Corona, False God, running 29 three drops. And um, Joey's, one of his favorite decks, uh, Caneo Centiro. Uh, 28 three drops there. And the reason for that is, I just have no idea. Is that just something has to have the most three drops and it's just those two cards? <laughs> so I do have a theory on this one. For Corona, I think that the answer is actually pretty simple. When you look at Corona's page, you see the impetuses, the impeti, the impet, 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 You see the impet. <laughs> You see the impetodes, um, which are the ones that sort of uh, goad an enemy creature. So when Corona is moving around the battlefield, swapping ownership as it loves to do, um, then the imp, the imp, the imps uh, will prevent Corona from coming your way most of the time. And the same is also true for other cards like the Vow of Flight, Vow of Wildness. We've got different vows that show up there. So there are a couple of... Uh, I say a couple, there's a bunch of three mana auras that prevent Corona from heading your way. So that would explain why Corona's got such a high density of them, in addition to other cards probably like Cultivate that also help just get the ball rolling in the first place. Caneo Centiro is a little bit more ethereal, but I think I still have a theory. And the theory is Generous Gift. The theory is Chaos Warp. The theory is those really delightful uh, three mana, very diverse removal spells that a, uh, a group hug deck can really pull a lot of political favor with. So I think that that might be what influences Kaneo Centiro's numbers. That makes more sense than anything I came up with. So I, I will <laughs> I will bow to your experience with the decks and assume you're correct. I always am, Dana. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. No, you don't. No, you certainly don't. And you make sure that you prove it every time you find one of those eight drops to cheat into play. And it's really great. That is true. That is true. All right, so we've gone through a whole bunch of data here looking at the lowest of the low mana curves, and I just kind of want to finish up by maybe any final observations that you guys have about mana curves or especially about low-cost strategies. Um, the one thing I would say here is you should know why you're making your mana curve really, really low in these decks. Um, an Edric deck that has a low CMC does so for a reason. You're running a bunch of evasive flying creatures that you can get out quickly so you can draw a bunch of cards to deal damage to people to draw down to an extra turn spell or something. Similarly, a Jara deck is, is running a bunch of low CMC artifacts so you can draw down to your combo. They're running really efficient, cheap things for a reason. Um, mm. I would say, on the other hand, if you are just trying to get your CMC as low as possible, just to do that, you run the risk of removing ways to actually close out and win games. Yeah. Avengers Edit Card does cost seven mana, and that, I guess, doesn't feel fun sometimes, but it wins you games, too. Like, you have to have some cards in your deck that win games, and it, it works out with some decks like, like Edric or like Joyra that you maybe don't need to have those big high MC, CMC spells to, to close them out. You, you do in other decks. So I would just say understand why you're making your CMC lean and don't take out 
all the cards that might be a little bit higher that actually let you win. Well, and it's, yeah. it's kind of the same point that we made last week about just the, the high CMC cards. You know, understand why you're doing it. Like, does your commander enable and reward you for keeping a low CMC? Kind of like we talked about last week with commanders that reward you for cheating big things into play that have a higher CMC. So just understanding kind of the purpose of what you're doing and how you're executing it in any given deck, that's going to pay so many dividends over time. Just understanding just what any given card or why the average curve of your deck is so high or so low. So if you're running a very low CMC deck, like Dana, your, your, your uh, Edric deck, you know why you're doing that. You're trying to get as many little guys on the battlefield as possible, and then you're turning them all sideways. So just swinging with people in, in general with that deck is what your, your, your end goal is there. So make sure whether your curve is extraordinarily high or low, understand why you're doing it. I think too, a fun piece of this is that sometimes CMC itself can become a tool that commanders abuse as much as anything. Like a, a thing that I mentioned kind of irked me about Arcades earlier is that it didn't necessarily care about the walls. Like the walls are gonna be good no matter what walls they are. You're not actually you know, using the specific ability of any of those cheap walls that Arcades is drawing cards off of. You really just care about the card draw. The same was true of Jorah Weatherlight Captain. You're not actually taking advantage of any of the zero drop artifacts that you're playing. Playing. The specific abilities of those cards barely even matter. She's just looking for zero drops to help her draw cards. They are just a means to an end. It kind of reminds me of how like Animar, for example, can use morph creatures, which, you know, cost generic mana to play. Animar can get more counters, reduce the cost of the creatures that you cast. And so those morphs can be zero mana to cast. And you can do those over and over if you like make some Cloudstone Curio bounce loop with them. But the specific morphs you're not actually leaning into. You're not using their abilities at all. A commander that does use those, those abilities is Kadena which actually uses the, the morph stuff. It's actually a dedicated morph deck and not just morphs are an object. Um, it's, it's not really all that different from how like the, the way that some of these commanders use converted mana costs is kind of like how Angie Falconrath uses the madness mechanic. It doesn't matter what the madness cards are. They're just looping through them. They're just using them as a means to an end. And sometimes the mana costs of cards in your deck can actually be a means to an end, which I just think is kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely very interesting to see how that works. Um, and, and, you know, Edric is really very similar too. like it's it's using the small bodies to draw down to your answer. These are all kind of doing the same thing. These super low CMC decks they are doing it in different ways. It's taking a different path. But the main point is to draw down as fast and as efficiently as possible to find those answers. Um, the last point on top of this I, I would make uh, in terms of understanding why you're making your deck lean. There are situations where you look at your deck and you're like, it's clumsier than I would like. On average, I'm spending more mana than I want. In those cases, I would say if you're looking to lower your CMC just for efficiency's sake, start by looking at what we've in the past called vegetable cards. Um, you know, your removal spells, your ramp, like the things that make the deck function, that provide your your nutrients, the the vegetables <laughs> of your deck. Um, it, it's much easier to make things lean and lower a few of those mana rocks from three to two, or a few of those ramp spells from you know four or three down to two. Go with those really efficient removal spells like Swords of Plowshares or Reality Shift. Um, than it is to take out those big haymakers. You're just, at that point, you're looking at making your deck flow better than you are sacrificing very much. So I, I would say if, if that's the case and you're looking to make things um, just more efficient, those are the direct the places you should look specifically. Well, and one thing to keep in mind is kind of the, the antithesis to that is just because your curve is very, very low doesn't mean it's a good curve for your deck mm. at the same time. Right. And sometimes you might be cutting too many of those things that you think aren't, you know, you're trying to justify them as being unnecessary when really they are. Sometimes if you have all enablers but no actual payoffs and you every deck, like you said, Dana, some of those, even if it's just a four mana spell, those are going to be some of those spells that uh, are going to help you win those games. It may not be, you know, it doesn't have to be an Avengers Zedekar. It doesn't have to be seven mana, but having a, a Beastmaster Ascension in your Edric deck, having a Triumph of the Hordes or anything like that to just push everything over the edge. Or even if you're in a Luris deck, you know, Exsanguinate may be to convert a mana cost, but you're never casting it for two. So just some of those spells that help you just push the game and the strategy over the edge, that's going to help you have a well-rounded 
deck. Just so, like I said, just because the deck has an average CMC of 1.5 doesn't mean it's the best curve. It might be the opposite because you're missing on some things that, you know, for the sake of getting your curve so low. Yeah. Well, I will throw a personal anecdotal bit of data in here. Um, I've, I usually keep track of the changes I make to my decks. In the last couple of years, on average, my CMCs have gone down until this year. At least looking at the changes I've made this year, I've made more changes that increase the CMC of my deck than I have ones that lower it. Um, I do tinker more than the average person, but I think part of that is I found myself without enough ways to close out games in, in an interesting way. And I had to put a few more of those high CMC cards back in to give me the strength versus just running entirely on efficiency. I, I really like that. And as we noted in this episode and the previous episode, we saw a trend over time that CMCs across all decks do seem to be going down, but they can't go down forever. Right. It takes a whole lot for them to move much farther past down where they're going to be. Like we saw this episode, the CMCs took forever to hit below two at long last. Um, so it really, it does plateau. We might even... I don't know, potentially we might actually be in the middle of that CMC plateau since things moved from like 3.39 on average across all EDH decks to an average CMC of 3.33. Like it's probably like things can get streamlined, but they can only get streamlined so much. Those big, awesome haymakers that Matt, I know you love to play and stomp all over me with, those are always going to be a huge piece of EDH and no amount of efficiency is ever going to take them away from you. Absolutely. Well, and there's also just a case of diminishing returns at some given point too. Right. You know, you, 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 can only get under Farseek by doing spells that aren't actually going to get you ahead on mana. So like a tune with Aether, like that gets you a land in theory, but it only puts it in your hand. Whereas stuff like Farseek or Ramping Growth, at least put it on the battlefield. So some of those, some of those advantages that you might make for the sake of having a lower curve, eventually they stop paying off. Right. And and that's just it. Like you'll you'll always have your crater hoofs is, is what I'm trying to say. And and we'll always have our Sakashima the imposters we'll, to we'll always copy have your our crater, crater hooves. Hooves. <laughs> All right. With that, after all of this, looking over the past two episodes of all of these high mana curves and these low mana curves, I think what we ought to do is call this one to a close. Fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it on the interwebs that they can find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S 55. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming paper games at twitch.tv slash EDH Recast. We have great guests every single week. So make sure you tune in to find out who we're having on any given week. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find all of us at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast, and our thanks to our sponsors for the show. That's TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm -hmm.